You ever have something said to you that really sticks with you and it lodges somewhere in your heart? How many of that's true? You've ever had something said and even years later you can remember it. You can almost remember where you were, where you were standing when you heard it. Well, that happened to me in something that was said by Mary Evans, the wife of our pastor emeritus and the dear lady who for 34 years was the senior pastor's wife in this house. She made this statement rather casually, and I heard her make it a couple of times, but it was just one of those statements that though it was, it was simple and yet so profound, and it, it took up residence within my heart. And the statement uh, was so simple, but she simply said this, as believers, we are to be signposts pointing to Jesus. That's what we're supposed to do. We are signposts pointing to Jesus. We're grateful for everything he's done in our lives and grateful for what he's allowed us to become through the working of his grace in us. But we are never to be the focus of attention regardless of our our need for personal affirmation or or our need for gratification or being stroked or being told how good we are or how talented we are how wonderful we are. We all have those needs to some degree. but, But the truth is, as believers, we are to be signposts pointing to Jesus because He is the one who is truly amazing. He's the one who's truly amazing. It may be dark outside, but you are not going to sleep on me this morning. Not going to happen. Because He's the one who's done it all. And just like the song we used to sing, Lord, I'm amazed by you, we never cease to revel in the wonder of His grace or or the wonder of it all just to think that God loves me. Can we just agree on this point today? Our God is amazing. Do we agree on that today? He's the one who deserves center place. Not only in this place and in this house, but also in our lives and in in, in our hearts. I don't know about you, but I'm just aware of something for me today. And it my awareness of this has shaped what I'm going to share with you today. In fact, uh, I'm taking a bit of a different approach than I, than I normally would or that which I'm, with which I'm mostly comfortable. Because as I went before the Lord this week and said, Lord, what is it that you, that you have for Bethesda on Sunday? I was so aware this week of so many encounters that I had with people and circumstances and situations that I, I ran into so many people that were just covered in, in a cloud of negativity. They weren't necessarily being negative to me. Uh, they weren't, you know, targeting me. I'm not trying to say that at all. That wasn't, you know, that wasn't the issue. They were either dealing with their, you know, they're dealing with an elderly parent who has, um, who has gone into a phase of life that, that they're unprepared for. They don't know how to deal with the fact that, that the mom that you've always known is really not the same mom anymore. Uh, things have changed in life. Or they're dealing with a child that is presenting really in challenging circumstances. Or, you know, all kinds of things. And, and I, I bumped into people that just their, their, their head was down. People that love God. People that are committed to Jesus, but their their head was down. And I just saw that so much. You know, we always see it from time to time, but I just, it's like, wow, this is over the top this week. I even found myself going to this point of saying, I feel like I just need to shake this off somehow. Just It just feels like I don't want to get caught up in this cloud of negativity. I'm not minimizing the situation of this person. I just, I just don't want to get caught up in that. And I guess at the end of the day, what I was saying in the quiet of my own heart to the Lord was this. Lord, I just need my faith built up. I just want to see my faith fortified. That, that's what I, is there anybody in the house today that you say, I want my faith built up today? Well, I know of no finer way for our faith and our confidence and our trust to be fortified than to and to help us to get our head out of the circumstances that we're facing. Some of you know that you've got a challenge this week. Some of you aren't real sure how you're going to uh, maneuver through the circumstances of this week. And even that is pressing in on you. All of these things can begin to rattle our confidence. 
and even sort of allow God's power and authority. We, we sang it earlier today. All authority is yours. And, and even all of that can begin to almost fade from view. It's like it goes into the background because what's right in front of us is our circumstance and our situation. This was confirmed as I even came to the church this morning and I began to receive, well, early this morning, emails from people. Dan, I've, I've got this. I won't be there today. And I'm hurting and I'm in pain and, and this and another situation with text that I got. And I thought, oh, my Lord, we need our faith built up. And I know of no finer way, maybe no simpler way, but I certainly know of no finer way for our faith to be built up and to get our head lifted today than to be reminded from the Word of God just how amazing our God is. And so this message today is going to go on the list of the most simple messages that you have ever heard. This message today is going to probably go on the list of stuff that I already know, Dan. I've already heard it. But what the Lord told me was to say, you know what Bethesda needs to be reminded this morning? That is this, that our God is amazing and there's no one like him. And that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to talk about the Lord. I've told so many people over the years, pardon this personal illustration. I had the privilege of working with Des Evans for 33 years as the senior pastor. Joy of my life. And I said, yes, he was a phenomenal, he is a phenomenal teacher. There's not a finer exegetical speaker on the planet in my book. And, and I, all of that's great. But you want to know the moments that are precious to me? And I've told so many, I've certainly told the staff this and so many people. Just get him in a room, not a very big room, with a little handful of people. And say, Des, just talk about Jesus. Just talk about Jesus. That's what we did with the staff this week on Monday. I said, Des, I just want you to come. I, I said, we're going to shoot you some questions. I didn't even let him see him ahead of time, like he needed to see him ahead of time. I said, we're just going to, we want to ask you some things. And then in the process of that, he just opens his heart and starts talking about the Lord. And by the time someone is through exalting the Lord Jesus and giving him preeminence and reminding us all who for whatever reason have found us today with our heads downcast by the cares of this world, we're reminded that he is our glory and the lifter of our head. And we're reminded that in him we can do all things through Christ who gives us strength. And no matter what it is that we're facing, no matter how challenging your circumstances is this week, he is going to be the one that sees you through it all. Somebody say bless the Lord for that today. Oh, when I think about the Lord and all that he's done for me, how he saved me, how he raised me. We sing this sometimes on a Sunday night. How he filled me with the Holy Ghost, how he healed me to the uttermost. When I think about the Lord, how he picked me up when I repented of my sin. He picked me up and he turned me around and set my feet on solid ground. You know what it does? It makes me want to shout hallelujah. Who has a hallelujah in the house today? Thank you, Jesus, because you're the one who's worthy of all the glory, worthy of all the honor, and worthy of all the praise. So I'm going to, be, I'm going to tell you the truth today. You know who I'm preaching to? I'm preaching to Dan today. I'm preaching to Dan. I'm going to allow you to listen in. That's fine with me if you hear this. But I'm going to tell you, I'm preaching to Dan today. I don't mind if, you're, if your heart gets stirred or something that we say stirs something within you. You can make that known. That's all right. I don't get shook up when that happens. But I'm here today to hear the Word of, of God talk about Jesus and see what the, the Word says about Jesus. And in so doing, for my faith to be built up and fortified. And I'm here to remind myself as I remind you that our God is amazing. As wonderful as the... the uh, as the Bible was on the History Channel here some months ago when many of you watched that and, and saw that, and that was great with their $22 million budget. Not even that can begin to describe how amazing our God is. You can take all the money in the world. You can take the finest movie production houses that Hollywood has to offer. You can take whatever money that a theme park can do. and all. Of, none of it can begin, even begin to describe how wonderful our God is. It pales in comparison to anything that those efforts can possibly do. Sometimes better than a $22 million budget are the words of a child when they begin to describe God. I heard recently of a friend of mine who's telling me that his five-year-old daughter said uh, said to her parents, said, isn't God amazing? And the parents said, why, of course. Why do you say that? 
And the little girl said, because of how we blink. <laughs> the parents said, what do you mean by that? And she said, of course, you know, you know remember when you were a kid, you didn't want to go to sleep, you're afraid you're going to miss something. Some of you have got a, a child, you cannot get them to sleep, and they're afraid they're going to miss something. Well, this little girl said, he has made us to blink so quick that we don't miss anything. <laughs> Isn't God amazing? Now, folks, that's a $22 million statement out of, the mouths of, out of the mouths of babes. God is amazing. And when, oh, John Hall's here. <laughs> hey, John. Yes. You keep that up, my brother. Love you. God is amazing. When he came on this planet to let the splendor of heaven... He was not some boring person who came to this earth. He was the most amazing person ever to step on the planet. Dorothy Sayers, who was a contemporary to C.S. Lewis, a favorite author of many of us. Dorothy Sayers said this. She said, the people who hanged Jesus never accused him of being a bore. But on the contrary, they said he was too dynamic to even be here. It has been left for later generations, Dorothy says, to muffle up his incredible personality. And here's what she said that I found so interesting. And we have declawed the Lion of Judah and have turned Jesus into a household pet. Well, I tell you that to remind us that it's about time. If she, what she's saying is true, and that was back many, many, many years ago. If that's, it's about time we start talking again about Jesus and the kinds of terms he deserves, and that is that he's amazing. Amen. We need to guard, church, against anything, any temptation, which is there, but any temptation to allow anything, to anything to encroach even the slightest bit upon his majesty, upon his splendor, and the wonder of who he is. We have found the church talking about the church but I'm telling you what, the church is not amazing. It's our God who's amazing. I love the church. Given my life to service in the church. We'll do it all the way until the day I die. I love the church. But it's not the church that's amazing. It's our God who is amazing. It's not a building as, as nice as this one is and others that are around. It's not a program that's amazing. It's not even a choir as much as we love this choir. It's certainly not a preacher. It's our God who's the center attraction. It's Jesus that we lift up and we continually say relentlessly without stopping, Jesus be the center of it all. But the problem that we all too often face is stated in a verse that I want to draw your attention to. It's a little verse from Psalm 50. And in this phrase, David, the psalmist, is throwing out a warning when you think about God. He says this warning that, he's, that he gives us in Psalm 50, verse 21. He's actually speaking in the words of God. Psalm 50, 21, he said, speaking as the words of God, these things... You have done and I kept silent. There's background to all that. And here's the, 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 uh, the phrase that caught my attention. You thought that I was just like you. You thought that I was just like you. And what David is saying, that's the problem. That's how sometimes that dissipation takes place. He begins to fade from view because we think he's just like us. When we dumb God down and begin to think that his characteristics and who he is is just like us. And the problem with our society is this, that we think God is like us. That his desires are our desires. That his habits are our habits. His thinking is our, we know that's not true, his ways are higher than ours. Are we made in his image? Yes, but he is so far beyond our ways of thinking. His thoughts are beyond our thoughts. His ways are beyond our, our ways. Man, over time, is unimpressive. But God is so much the opposite. The longer you know him, the more impressive God becomes. Can I get an amen to that today? When a Jehovah Witness comes to your door, I have a recommendation. Just talk to them about the Trinity. They may say, how can you believe in a Trinity? 
three gods in one. It doesn't make sense. And the answer to that is exactly. Because when you can explain God, then you have created an idol. Because God is greater than anything you can explain. God is greater than anything you can think up. Anything that you think you can wrap your brain around or I can wrap my brain around. He's so much more than that. Our God is amazing, church. The day you can describe him completely or think you've got a handle on it, you have just created an idol. He's greater than anything we can think or imagine or come up with. He is amazing. Augustine said, God is not what you imagine or what you think you understand, because if you understand, you have failed. Augustine said that. And my concern for the church today is in our effort to be relative, cool, hip, current, contemporary. We have taken the most amazing being in the universe and we have made him ordinary. And we have relegated God to being our buddy. He is not ordinary. He is God and God Almighty. God, help us to never look upon him as being just like us. God is greater than our thoughts. He's greater than anything we can think or imagine. I want to point out three things to you this morning that amaze me about God. I am so trusting that as this has encouraged my heart, as simple as this is going to be, it's encouraged my heart. I hope you walk out of here today with something so infused in you that reminds you of how great our God is. And I, it doesn't matter to me in this moment what the circumstance is with you. If you are one of those that, that have been walking in the, coming into the church for a long time and walking in the Christian path for a long time and possibly somewhere along the way you become jaded, I run into those folks from time to time. They, they know it all. They've seen it all. They've heard it all. There's nothing you can say or do that they haven't all, you know, they, they, they've got all that. And in the process, not only are they jaded, but there can there'll be a, a bit of cynicism that sometimes creeps in your heart. And when that cynicism comes in, guess what? Your faith becomes rattled. And you begin removing God from the center point of your life. He begins to dissipate and fade from that center point. And I'm praying today as we talk about three simple things that something's going to remind you, I need to put him back in the center of where I am. He needs to be the center of my life. I need to take my thoughts and set them aside, my feelings and set them aside, and realize that he is the one who deserves the preeminence in my life. If that's you today, I pray that happens. And if for any reason you are broken today, then stop by the potter's house, you who are broken. You who need mending, stop by the potter's house today and see what he can do. And let your faith, if you're walking on shaky ground today, and some of you are, I know you are. If you're walking on shaky ground today, I want you to open your heart and acknowledge these three things I'm going to tell you today. And allow the Holy Spirit to do something in you to, to, to solidify the ground that you are walking on. I am always stunned, absolutely stunned to see what happens between these lips and your ears. It's amazing to me what the Holy Spirit can do. With the feebleness of my mind, the limitations of my thinking, and, and my inability to articulate well, somehow the Lord takes my feeble words, and He has the power to do anything He needs or wants to do by the time it reaches your ears. You want to know what this pastor prays? I pray, oh God, there's no way I can communicate that effectively. What you've illuminated in my own heart, there's no way I can do that. I said to Des one time after I'd been preaching here a few months, I said, Des, will I ever walk away from the platform and feel good about a sermon? He said, nah, never will. <laughs> I said, you're such a blessing to me, Des. I appreciate it. <laughs> will I ever? And here's the reason why. And that's the truth. Those of you who preach the word, you know that's the truth. You never walk away feeling, oh, man, I just did it today. No, it never happens that way. And here's why. Because in the study that you, the preparation time, as you go before the Lord and quiet your own heart, and as you search out the riches and truths in the Word of God, it so does something dynamic in you. And it so explodes in your own heart that you go, oh God, I want Bethesda to catch that on Sunday. And it, there's no way it ever comes out of your mouth the way it explodes in your own heart. And so all I can say is, Lord, between my lips and their ears, you can make it all that it needs to be. Not only that, he has the ability to custom fit it for you. That's how amazing our God is. 
He could take any verse I wanted to talk about today. And I'm going to get to one in a minute. He could take any verse I wanted to talk about today. And he could custom fit it to you. That's how amazing. Oh, he's amazing, church. Come on, put your hands together and bless him. I brought my hanky today just in case I need it. I'm going to give you three things this morning that amaze me about God. They're all found in the book of Corinthians, and I want to go there in just a minute. It's as if God takes one of the worst cities of the first century, Corinth, a city so filled with sensuality that literally its name came to mean sensuality. To Corinthianize meant sexual sin. That's how bad the city was. Filled with idols. It was not only a place where there were temples and idols everywhere, but it was, as many of you know, it was the commercial hub of the first century. All commerce went through there because of its geographic location. But our God is still amazing. All the temples of worship were there in Corinth. All the religions came through there. It's how bad the place was. This is the city where all the prostitutes would be in the temples and all the sensuality would take place. It had everything you could possibly imagine going on. And this is the place in this situation, this atmosphere, where Paul starts to write and where he begins to write about how great God is and how amazing he is. You know, that, that idea alone speaks to me. You know, when you're walking the city of Corinth, a modern city that has everything anybody could ever imagine, it's the place where people wanted to go on vacation, a place where people wanted to go where they wanted to be. It's the place you could find anything you wanted. It sounds like some of the cities that we have here in the U.S. Some would say it sounds like, oh, Las Vegas, or sounds like New York, or many people could say it sounds like Dallas. We live in a, in a very cosmopolitan area, and, you know, there's, there's almost nothing you can't get or, or, or do or, or have available or accessible to you in an area like this. Sometimes you can get into some situations in an area like this and it almost feels overwhelming because of its magnitude and, and it's intimidating because of all that it has to offer. I remember the first time Stephen went to Panama City, was it? You flew in and you saw all the buildings. It's a very commercial area. And Stephen began to say, oh God, I, you know, almost with a sense of intimidation, who are we? Light of Life International coming to a, a big area like this. Well, that's what I want to tell you is that in a circumstance that can be intimidating and overwhelming, that's the best place to begin to talk about how amazing God is. And to establish His authority. I don't care how tall the buildings are. I don't care how much money they have available to them. It is all pales into comparison to our amazing God. Paul says this. He says, I'm going to talk about how incredible and amazing God is because that's, that's what's going to protect you when you live and walk and, and, and function in a city like this. Because in a place like this, there's going to be so many things vying for your attention. And that happens to us in the Metroplex. There's almost nothing you can't do. Any hobby that you might want to pursue, anything that would, that would tantalize you or, or occupy your interest, it's all here. And you've got to remember, though, how amazing God is when you look at that stuff, all the stuff that's available, and you go, that's cool, and that's interesting, but that's not like our God. You can look at things and say, that's exciting, and man, I could really get into that, but that's not like our God. You may be good looking, and you may want to marry me, but you're not as exciting and good looking as God is. So what I want you to know is the thing that protects you, he says, in a city like this is seeing how great God is and realizing that all the stuff that's available to you is no comparison to the amazing God that we serve today. Here's what Paul said, and I'm going to give you these three things very quickly, and then we'll, we'll move on to whatever. I remind you, I'm preaching to Dan today. You can listen in, but it's going to be really simple. Number one, Paul says, in Corinthians 1.9, he says this, God is faithful. Both of you agree. Bless you. <laughs> Say it with me. God is Say it one more time and add a fourth word, hallelujah, at the end of it. God, God is Do you know what faithful means? It means consistent and dependable. Consistent and dependable. He does not change. And thank God he doesn't get moody. 
like some of us do. I ain't looking at nobody. Nobody. God never has a bad day. You will never hear God say, oh, yeah, I forgot. Cut me some slack. I got a lot of people talking to me, you know. He's never been heard to say, hey, I'm doing my best here. Listen to all these people asking for stuff, especially on Sunday night at the prayer service. Some of them ask two or three times. You'll never hear God saying that. He's faithful, and he's never been late. You might think so, but your clock is not his clock. Your calendar is not his calendar. He's never been late. He's never not been himself. He's consistent and dependable. He's never been tired. He does not sleep, nor does he slumber. And he has never not loved you. Somebody ought to say thank God for that. The most consistent one you could ever possibly know or encounter. If he loves you today, and he does, ten years down the road, he still loves you. If he saved you today and forgives you, his forgiveness does not change. And he has never, I love this, never turned anyone away who has asked for forgiveness. Aren't you thankful for that? He didn't turn you away when you asked for forgiveness. Listen to me, to me carefully. Faithfulness and forgiveness is a very, very important combination. How many of you have ever asked God for forgiveness before? Let me see your hand. How many of you have ever asked God for forgiveness for the same thing a second time? Balcony, are you participating in this? Because I know some of you folks up there. Come on. How many of you have ever gone to God and asked for forgiveness for the same thing multiple times? And how many are thankful God does forgive you? Let me tell you why faithfulness and forgiveness are so important. It's a verse that we quote, but sometimes we jump right to the result and, and forget the reason why. If we confess our sins, He is He is and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. You know what he's saying? Your forgiveness is based on the consistency of God. Your forgiveness is based upon the dependableness, if there is such a word, dependable nature of God. He is not like us. And understanding this church is huge. David warns us, he says, you keep thinking that God is like you. And God says, I am not like you. How many times have you messed up? And did you ever once, when you messed up, go to God and have him say to you, hey, that's the fourth time. You can't just keep doing this, you know. Forgiveness is not something I can just keep. He never says that because our God is amazing. He's amazing. He doesn't say like, hey, that's the 80th time you've been here for that. You know, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. But let's move on because I can't, I can't just keep doing. Never does God say that because he is faithful. That means if you come to him and say, God, forgive me. He is amazing. He will in no wise cast you out. He says, I know you keep doing this, but we're going to get this thing right because watch this. He is not only faithful to forgive us, but he's also faithful to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. He says, I not only want to forgive you, but I want to cleanse you from the thing for which you keep asking forgiveness, because I have the power to not only forgive, but I have the power to forgive you and to set you free and to cleanse you. That's what God does. He is faithful. He's faithful to his people. Is anyone besides me amazed at God's faithfulness today? That's number one. Here's number two. God is not only faithful, but listen to what he says in 2 Corinthians 9, 8. He's not only faithful, but he is able. God is able. He's amazing. He never gets boring. Man gets boring. Preachers get boring, but never God. He's too vast to exhaust. He is able to keep your attention and my attention. 
He's able to do things that we can't do for ourselves because he is not like us. Man has limitations. Eventually we get redundant and we start saying the same things over and over. And Have you ever been with someone who tells you the same story over and over again? My dad loved to, you know, he was a pastor all my life. He loved to tell jokes, but if he told you, he would tell you the same joke 12 times. And he would laugh as hard the 12th time. You go, dad, I can't even fake a laugh anymore. It's not in me. God is not like man. His mercies are new every morning. God has new stories every day. He doesn't have to tell you what he did seven years ago. He can tell you what he did seven seconds ago, and it was still brand new, whatever he did. Man is exhaustive, and we don't have what God has. And the problem, that, the problem is that we put so much hope in man that we forget God. This dissipation thing begins to happen. Yet God is the one who's never exhausted. Listen to this, when God is not the star in the church, then man has to come up with bells and whistles to keep the church entertained. Dan, are you really going to go there? Maybe. Can I just say this out loud and in the company of everyone that's here? God is enough to keep you excited. God is enough to keep you interested. You don't have to come up with smoke screens and all this stuff that, that they that do today just to get you to come to church. Crazy stuff is happening in the body of Christ just to keep the church excited. But I'm here to say God is enough because he's the one who's amazing. When you sense his presence, when you walk into a place like you did today and the church begins to sing and lift their voice and magnify the name of the Lord together. We don't have to sit up here with smoke coming in our face and pastors driving on the stage in motorcycles. No offense to you Harley people. I know we have a whole parking area for you out here. But when it comes to God, we don't need any of that stuff because God is enough, because God is able. Paul said, 2 Corinthians 9, 8, God is able to make all grace abound to you so that always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have what? May, I'm sorry, I didn't hear you. An abundance for every good deed. Paul is saying that because he is able, you will always have more than enough. When, when, what God gives will always be sufficient, dear friend. Because God goes overboard when he gives. When we've exhausted our hoard of resources, when our strength is gone ere the day is half through, when we reach the end of everything that we have, our Father's full giving has only begun because He gives and gives and gives and gives again. He goes overboard because He's lavish. He's able not only just to save you, but Hebrews 7 says this, He not only saves you, but guess what? He saves you to the uttermost. Just thinking about all these superlatives for God, and I ran into this scripture in Isaiah 55, 7. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts, and let him return to the Lord, and he will have compassion on him and, and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. Yet another statement of the lavishness of the grace of our God. Isn't pardon enough? No, 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 no. He not only says he will pardon, he says he will abundantly pardon. How many of you, along with me, will say, I didn't need just pardoning, I needed abundantly pardoning? Who is that true of today in the house? That's what he's able to do. And he doesn't just stop giving. He keeps going on and on with what he can do for you. Isaiah 43, verse 23 says, You have not brought to me the sheep of your burnt offerings, nor have you honored me with your sacrifices. I have not burdened you with offerings, nor wearied you with incense. You have bought me not sweet cane with money, nor have you filled me with the fat of your sacrifices. Rather, you have burdened me with your sins, and you have wearied me with your iniquities. I, even I, I love the emphasis of that. I, even I, am the one who wipes out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. Put that into context with me today. He's saying this, even after we have wearied him 
with our sins. Even after we've gone to God, God time and time again and said, God, I messed it up again. I did it again. What does it say? He still forgives and he says, I will not remember your sin. Psalm 86 verse 5. For you, Lord, are good and ready to forgive and abundant in loving kindness to all who call upon you. Which means every time we go to God, he will in no wise cast us out. Every time you come with a sick soul to God. And oh, how many times I've done that. God is not saying, so where's your insurance card? Do you have a copay? No, he's going to fix it. He's going to take care of it. He's going to realign us every time. Can you imagine a doctor that you would go to who would say to you, hey, I've seen you already. You can't just keep coming in here, you know. God doesn't do that. He accepts you every time. That's why he's amazing. Ephesians 3, verse 8, although I am less than the least of all God's people, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Paul is saying this, that Christ is so amazing, his riches are unsearchable. Do you realize, church, that in the New Testament and the Old Testament, there are 226 titles just for Jesus? Instead of just one, they're saying, we're going to have Jesus cover everything. That's how amazing he is. I heard one preacher say that he studied it out and discovered that the day a person trusts their life to Christ, listen to this, the day you trusted your life to Christ, 33 things are taking place just to get you saved and get you to heaven, according to the Word of God. Nothing he does is little. It is plenteous. It is abundant. It is magnificent. Just look at the way he created us. You are a walking miracle today. You may not feel like it. You may have some aches and pains, but the truth is you are a walking miracle. You just being here today is a miracle. Physicists tell us that if you want to make a man, you need 58 pounds of oxygen, 50 quarts of water, 2 ounces of salt, 3 pounds of calcium, 24 pounds of carbon, chlorine, fat, sulfur, iron, phosphorus, and glycerin. And that's what physicists tell you you need to make a man. And God did it with a handful of dirt. You're going to tell me God is not amazing? He picked up a handful of dirt and blew on it, and you popped up. He is someone we can place our trust in because God is able. Whatever it is you are facing today, whatever it is you're facing this week, He is able. He made you with eyes that have 100 million receptors. He made you with ears with 24,000 fibers so fine-tuned and vibrating that you can hear the loudest sound when the choir sings, and yet you can hear the softest whisper and whimper of your baby that's crying in another room. You're sitting here today right now with a body that has 640 muscles, 200 bones, 7 miles of nerve fiber all synchronized so that you have agility and movement. In your chest is a heart that beats 36 million times a year, pumping 60,000 gallons. Oh, he's amazing. Pumping 60,000 gallons of blood through 600,000 miles of vessels. Through your veins and arteries flows five quarts of blood, 22 trillion blood cells, and within each of the blood cells are millions of molecules. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. You are literally a walking resurrection. He is able! I said he's able, and he's amazing. Ladies, if you need a reason to trust God to gain, then you pull out that little compact you got in your purse, and you flip that mirror over, you look at it, you say, I am a miracle made from God. That's what you need to do. And some pea-brained scientist will come and say, it was a big bang. No, sir, it was a big God that did all this. God is amazing. Our God is faithful. Our God is able. And finally, point number three. 1 Corinthians 1.20 tells us that God is wiser. He's wiser than sound systems that crack. God doesn't need Google. He knows it all already. When you go to God and say, Lord, this is what I'm going through, you'll never hear him say, Wow, I've never heard that before. Let me Google that. No matter what you bring, difficult marriage, kids are not living for God, husband told you he wants a divorce, God's not saying, hold on, let me see the hits I get on this and let me go to that website. And she, no, no, no. 
He doesn't need Google. He doesn't need a website. God has all the answers because He is the answer. God is wiser. He has no learning curve. He doesn't get better at being God. He doesn't get better over the years saying, you know, I've messed a few things up in the Old Testament, but I'm really getting it now in the New Testament. No, 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 no. There's no learning curve for God. He already knows the right answer every single time. Because here's what I want to tell you today. He's wiser than man. He's wiser than Google. He's wiser than Apple. He's wiser than Standard & Poor. He's wiser than Wall Street. He's wiser than the government. He's wiser than the president. He's wiser than the Congress. He's wiser than preachers. He's wiser than the church. God is wiser because He is God. Paul says it like this in 1 Timothy 1.17. I love this. And now, unto the King, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. I grew up in a time in the 60s that if you wanted something, you had to go to a store that specializes in it. If you wanted a bike, you went to the, the bike store. If you needed hardware, you went to the... If you wanted candy, you went to the candy store. If you needed flowers, you went to the florist. How many of you remember those days? Oh, come on. <clears throat> That's just the way it worked. That's just how we lived. <clears throat> if you needed six different things, you had to go to six different stores that day. If you needed donuts, you went to the donut shop. I always made it there somehow. <laughs> if you needed pizza, you went to the pizza place. If you needed tires, you went to the... Let me tell you what often happens at the end of a service. Whether it be Sunday morning, a Sunday morning service here, or a Sunday night prayer service. Myself and some of the other pastors are always available to pray with people for all the various needs that can be presented. Doesn't happen every week like this. But it wasn't too many weeks ago that morning after the service ended, service ended shortly after noon, and I literally did not leave this room until 1.20 that day. Prayer needs, prayer needs, prayer needs, and more prayer needs. And sometime later that afternoon, I, I began to consider and just sort of try to process all the things that we'd prayed for in that time which had followed the morning service. Unemployment, a lady who had just discovered she had breast cancer, someone who said, my daughter's lost, and I don't even know if she's alive. I have no idea where she is. I'm dealing with, somebody else said, I'm dealing with deep depression. My my marriage is messed up. Someone else had been trying to have a baby, and we've sold everything to get every doctor to help us. Someone else, my finances are so bad, we may lose the house. And on and on and on. The diversity in all these requests. And I pondered them that afternoon. And then I, lest I get sunk in all of that, my thoughts went to how amazing God is. I just, because, you know, the truth is, there's nothing I can do about any of those things. I'm happy to pray for you, but not a thing I can do about them. But I'm so thankful I can point you, I can be a signpost pointing you to the one who can. And that's the honor and privilege that we have in the ministry and as believers. And I began to think that afternoon, you know, as I was thinking how amazing our God is. If He were a God who functioned like the 1960s, you know what you'd have to do? You'd have to go to a whole bunch of different religions to find out which God specialized in that thing that you were requesting that day. Whether it's surgery you're facing or whatever it is. But not with our God because He has it all. He's kind of like, and this will be offensive to some, kind of like Super Target. Kind of like the Super Walmart Superstore. You can buy tires. You can buy groceries. You can get a bike. You can get toys. You can get candy. You can get hardware. You can get a gross slice of pizza. (laughs) All in one store. Can I get an amen to that today? And you don't have to go to 10 different places. And that's what Corinth was. They, they had a healing temple. They had a temple for fertility. 
They had a temple for offering sacrifices. And so when you came to Corinth, Paul says, you're trying to go over here so that you can have babies. And you're trying to go over here so that God will like you. And you're going over here to get forgiveness or healing. And Paul was saying to the Corinthians, God is wiser than all those temples put together. All you have to do is come to him for he has it all. He's wiser than all of that. He's able to restore a marriage. He's able to heal cancer. He can heal broken bones. I said he can heal broken bones. He's able to find your daughter. He's able to get you a job. He's able to put joy back into a depressed spirit. He's able to come and do what nobody else, no other power can do because our God is amazing. He's not like you. He's not like me, thank God. He's a totally other than anyone else in this place. Anything you need, God has it. God is able. God is wiser. He's faithful, and there's nobody like our God. The amazing sometimes, the amazing things sometimes, the amazing can become ordinary if we're not careful. And that's the caution I give with this message today. Do I want us to all recognize how amazing God is? Yes. But let's be so careful that we never allow the amazing to become ordinary. Or like Dorothy Sayer says, declaw Jesus to become a household pet. That's why I get concerned at times by the jaded Christians. I mentioned a while ago they've seen it all, heard it all, they know it all. They've been to church so long that they perceive their job is to critique everything and pass their judgment on what they find acceptable and what they don't. And while it's frustrating to watch them stand on the sidelines voicing their opinions about what the church should or should not be doing, doing usually precious little of the heavy lifting that needs to be actually done in the church. Far, far greater than that is the pastoral concern that I have for the fact that we can get so accustomed to things, even the privilege that we have of meeting together as the family of God in the house of God. We can get so accustomed that we lose the awe of awesome. We lose the amazement over the amazing God. And we can... Some of us can get so easily thrilled with anybody or anything, anything else other than Jesus. But I'm here to tell you this. Whatever it is that has captured your attention or whatever it is that you have become enamored with, it will not have the ability to hold your t- attention for very long. If you get enamored or thrilled with something other than God, it won't be long until it wears out, assuming it does not sour on you in the meantime. That can so easily happen. The new car smell goes away and it's just a car. And it breaks down. It needs gas and oil. Things don't work, just like every other. And for those of you who have issues that this message appears to present God as the great sugar daddy, I hope that you won't take the heart of this that way. And just know that I have issues with that concept as well. I too am of the opinion that if he never, ever did another thing for me, or for us, he has already done more than enough to win my love, my affection, and my worship for the rest of my days. He owes me nothing. I owe him everything. And I'm not confused about that. Bless your name, Jesus. Bless your name, Jesus. Bless your name, Jesus. Would you just worship him with me for just a moment? Come on, can you help me in this house? Just say, Lord, we love you. You are the amazing God. You are so able, God. You've proved yourself time and time again. You are amazing, God. There's no one like you. There is no one like you. And how you abundantly pardon, how out of your, the abundance of your grace, you give and give and give again. And you help and help and help again. And you provide and provide and provide again. And you heal and heal and heal again. It's as if you can't stop yourself because of your heart of love. And it only functions in one mode, and that mode is lavish. That's why we can say our God is amazing. Stand with me, church, for just a moment. We're going to dismiss in a minute. Not yet. For those of you who are in such a hurry to get out. I got five minutes. This has been a simple reminder for you and for me today that our faith can be fortified 
by the fact that God is not not like us. Made in His image, yes. He doesn't think like us, act like us. He's faithful. He is able. He's wiser. He doesn't need bells and whistles. He doesn't need smoke and mirrors. He doesn't have to do anything special. He just has to be Himself. And when He comes, the fullness of who He is, and we take the time to let Him be the center of our hearts, the center of our attention, and we simply focus upon Him, and He fills our vision. Be Thou my vision. He fulfills all of our gaze. Then the things of earth grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. We take the time to talk to Him in prayer. He's amazing. We take the time to open the book and see what he says in the scriptures. He's amazing. The more you know, the more you will want to be, the more you will want to know, the more you'll be blown away by him because he's amazing. You know, we're going to dismiss in just a moment. I've asked some folks to come and help me pray. Maybe you are someone who has come to the house today and somehow, doesn't matter how right now, but somehow, You say, you know, the awe of awesome has dissipated from my view. I don't know how it happened. I don't believe it was intentional. But somehow other things have crept into the center and they're sitting right here. And somehow God has has like moved over to the side or, or to the background because I'm overwhelmed with what's right here. Happens to all of us, folks. If that's you and you want someone to pray with you, Just slip out from where you are. Let him come. You don't have to give him the details. You don't have to tell him anything you don't want to tell him. Just say, I want Jesus to be the center. That's all you have to do. If that's true for anybody in the house, just step out from where you are. Just say, excuse me, I just want someone to pray with me today. Whatever it is that has captured your attention, and you've discovered that, you know what, it's leaving me empty, it's exhausting, it's boring. I've become enamored with something else or someone else. And it's moved Jesus from the center. Dear friend, the only answer is God and God alone. No job, no other person, no other activity can take his place. Oh, Jesus, 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 move amongst us today. I wish somebody would help me pray in this house. Lord, we need you, we need you, we need you. We need you, Jesus, we need you.